Broadcasting live from the center of the abominable abominable snowman. It's Matt and Brett Love Comics. I'm freezing. This yeah. Is one and, of your hosts, uh, Brett. And this is Matt. Uh, Matt and Brett Love Comics is the show where we usually take comics and talk comics with comics, but because the casket of ancient winters has been unleashed oh, wow. on New York City... Um, we, uh, we have a bit of a, we have a bit of a fill-in issue this <laughs> uh, week. Uh, what is Laufey? Laufey? The Frost Giant. Yeah. That's a dumb name. Laufey? Laufey? Laufey. Laufey? It just sounds, it sounds like, I don't know, like a character that they would play on Whose Line Is It Anyway? UK version? Yeah. Like, like I'm holding a giant fun noodle and I'm like, I'm Laufey. That's yeah, that's oh, it sounds like an adjective. It yeah. sounds like an adjective. Like that's what that's what you look like when you wave a big pull noodle around. <laughs> Stop so being so loufy. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So this weather is um, horrible, and yeah. this is. Uh, I mean, let's shatter the illusion. This is th- uh, Thursday night after a huge snowstorm in New York, uh, and there are still two more on the way. Yeah. So I think even when this episode drops, we might still be under feet of snow. Yeah, who knows? And initially, uh, we were planning to read uh, what will be next week's episode, um, which was Batman Year One with uh, Chikara owner Mike Quackenbush. Um, But unfortunately, because of uh, Brett and I's inability to uh, uh, coordinate because we're both stuck in our apartments... um, we're flying solo this week with a fill-in issue, uh, talking about a fill-in issue. We're talking about this is a, it's a weird issue. Um, yeah. Uh, which, and also, I mean, I this also sprung to my mind to read last minute because uh, the cover is exactly what everyone in New York City feels like today. <laughs> yeah. So right now, uh, <laughs> today we read and we're going to be discussing, along with some other things, um, Alpha Flight Volume 1, Issue 6. Uh, by John Byrne and John Byrne. I wonder if they knew each other. Yeah, and and also more so, more more not more important than other issues, but taking a bigger spotlight than in other issues. Michael Higgins on lettering. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. Higgins had his work cut out for him in this issue. Uh, this is the infamous Snowblind issue, which has one of the that stark white cover with Snowbird on it. It just says Snowblind in that gorgeous typeface. Um, I feel like if you know any, if any cover of Alpha Flight is memorable, it's this one. For sure. <laughs> I can't think of any other. I mean, probably this one and then like the North Star's gay cover are the two. Because he's like, it's a tight close up of his face and he's just screaming. Oh, man. And it's it, like, it's like perfectly 90s. <laughs> I mean, it looks like, like Andrew Wildman. Well, it looks like a, like a car, like a carbon copy of Andrew Wildman. I, it was, it was either Wildman or I think it might've been Mark Pacella. Oh, yeah, back when he was super copying Life all the time. That makes sense. Yep. Um, So, yeah, those are the only two Alpha Flight covers that are at all remotely recognizable, at least to me. I don't want to offend any Alpha Flight fans. Yeah, yeah, sorry. uh, uh, If Fred Van Lenty hears this, he'll be so mad. Uh, uh, So, I mean, what is, uh, first of all, how is your snow day? Um, well, my snow day has been a uh, kind of a headache. I've been working from home all day, and it's been Preach. yeah, it, it, it's been a lot more headache. I thought once this happened that oh, 
I'll be able to focus and kind of get ahead on some work, and it's been nothing but damage control. Yeah. Uh, I produce shows that go out on tour oh, across God, the country, yeah. and I've spent most of my day negotiating cancellations and travel changes and uh, cast members stuck in different states and not able to get back. And oh boy, I See, am. See, that's horrible. Uh, but then I'm I am the kind of crazy person that when you said cast members stuck in other states, I immediately got envious of those people. <laughs> oh sure, because I, I love I love I I I love unexpected adventures like that. Yeah, uh, like I mean, like the, the idea of getting it, trapped yeah. in an airport for long periods of time for some reason sounds appealing to me. What is wrong with my life as it is that that sounds appealing to me? <laughs> Well, because like one of your one of your favorite childhood memories is that episode of Full House, right? Where they Christmas in the airport, which I just yeah. bought and watched uh, over Christmas. Wait, did you buy it? It's for two bucks on uh, on iTunes. Because so I don't wait, have you a la carte bought just that episode of Full I've, House. I have a la carte bought a lot of episodes <laughs> of Full House. Um, I, I want to know what the stats are. On a la carte purchased episodes of Full House. They only have, I think they might have, they only had seasons one and two, and then like season five. But I think season five is the Disney two-parter, so I bought that, I bought those two. When I had food poisoning on the on New Year's Day, I right. bought that two-parter. Because, I mean, that's just perfect medicine. <laughs> that's true. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, uh, yeah, my day was similar, except less high stakes. Yeah. I mean, I don't leave my apartment anyway for days on end, which makes me go crazy. That's um, true. So today I just decided to work from my couch instead of my home office. Which... Oh, man. So you were working remotely. Yeah, I work remotely every... Oh, yeah. I mean, I was working remotely from the other side of the wall. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, I don't like it, but it's fine. Um, so how does snow affect you? I mean, like, what, what are your honest feelings on it? Because you grew up in Tennessee. We did don't you have guys snow. get a lot? We don't you get did it. not. No, like, I just, the, they didn't close school today. And then they they said they've been, I, the news was on all day. Like, the local news was on all day. And the only thing, uh, they said that New York has only closed schools for snow 11 times in the past 35 years. Right. Which coming from Tennessee is insane because <laughs> we close school for snow immediately. We have 12 snow days built into our, our, our school year somehow. Yeah. I don't know how that works, but I just know that like we could miss 12 days of school without having to extend the school year any, um, and most years we didn't even use any of that. So the fact that, you know, we just went through this and they did, they don't cancel school for anything up here. It's just like crazy to me. Yeah, it's interesting. They used to have uh, a similar thing built into the school schedule where I grew up in western Pennsylvania. They called it uh, – th they would call it Act 80. I, I think it was based on something <laughs> called Act 80, and they called them Act 80 days where um, this was – if we hadn't had X amount of snow days up to that point, then it was just a random day off. Oh, yeah. We would – yeah, we would get those too. They would give yeah. us – yeah, like towards like May or April, they would start being like, yeah, we got these built up. Don't, you know – uh -huh. um, we also had the coolest thing about uh, snow in Middle Tennessee was Snowbird, the NBC, the WSMB, the NBC affiliates uh, puppet, Snowbird puppet. It was a penguin with a red scarf and earmuffs. Oh, man. So was he a hand puppet? What type of he puppet was, he was, was a, this? He was a hand puppet, and they 
like you go you go crazy for Snowbird. Like there was like they they had a they, they had a person that dressed up like Snowbird and would like go to schools and stuff. Um, there's Snowbird merchandise. Did Snowbird uh, ever come to your school? I think Snowbird probably did at some point. No, I, my memory isn't shot. Yet. Oh, come on. You'd remember if Snowbird I, I, came. Yeah. Did, did, um, did your local news affiliates not have, like, puppets and mascots like ours did? We didn't. You know, we didn't have puppets. What we had was Joe DiNardo. Joe DiNardo was the weatherman on WTAE Channel 4 News in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. And he was famous. He had his own commercials uh, because he was the weather guy. And if it if it snowed, you know it was going to snow. Or if it snowed that day, gotcha. you knew it would because Joe said it would. And that was the jingle. <laughs> um, Joe said it would. I want to. I'm I'm now on the Snowbird appearances website. So uh, oh, there's hey, a breakdown. Yo, Middle Tennessee. Uh, if you are at the Creative Learning Center at the People's Church in Franklin, Tennessee, on Tuesday, February 18th, 10, 10 a.m. Snowbird is there. Wednesday, February 19th, he's there again at 10. Thursday, it's February 20th, Southgate Children's Academy, 9:30 a.m. Go see Snowbird. Oh, man. If anyone listening lives near there, please go see Snowbird and take a picture. Oh, yeah, no, like, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of Snowbird appearances. Friday, February 21st, Bethesda Elementary, 9 a.m. He's all over the place. Snowbird's well, it's got... His, Snowbird's, it's his busy season. Yeah. Uh, then our our CBS affiliate, um, WTVF, I think, uh, had Newshound. Right? News hound who was uh who was their mascot the news hound who was a little basset hound right now he yeah uh anyway <laughs> this yeah. is incredible so this is middle tennessee middle, like, tennessee, middle tennessee is just populated by humans and puppets yeah like you guys coexist oh, like a delightful fraggle rock i wish wouldn't that be nice i wouldn't have left um no so yeah we have uh wait do you like the snow you know I like the snow up to a certain point. Uh, growing up in western Pennsylvania, I loved sled riding. I loved like tubing down. There were a lot of there were a lot of hills where I grew up, and weirdly <laughs> enough, most of those hills were in cemeteries. So <laughs> we would go sled riding in cemeteries, uh, which explains, I think, my morbid sensibility. That, that's wow. That's that's interesting. Incredibly that's... strange, right? Uh, golf courses, golf courses, and cemeteries was where we would go sled riding, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I like snow through Christmas, and I like snow the first few weeks in January. This is the point where I've had enough. You know, yeah, but also we didn't start getting all this snow until this month, really. Yeah. I mean, I well, that's the way it works now. Fed up with February, yeah. anyways, like with the cold. But the snow on top of the cold is like hell to the no. Yeah, I mean, I didn't own. I still don't really own appropriate footwear for this weather, uh, and I didn't own. I mean, I, I rocked Converse my first like three or four winters in yeah. New York City because I'm from Tennessee. I don't know how to do this. I didn't get a real winter coat <laughs> until last year. Oh so right, like six years, and I finally bought my uh, Han Solo and Hoth coat. Your parka, yeah, yeah. Jeez, oh, um, so we, so we're iffy on snow. Now, right. sn- now, Snowbird, that's her name, right? Yeah, that's her Because now I'm like, that's the puppet. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> <laughs> Snowbird of Alpha Flight 
gets gets by just fine in the snow. Yeah, I mean, part of her part of her power is that she summons the sort of shape shifting spirits of Canadian animals, and most of the animals that she can shape shift into are uh, stereotypically cold cold weather woodland creatures. Yeah. It's one of those like really weirdly vague. It's like a very vague but very specific power set. It's kind of like um the Wonder Twins, which is like one right. turns into an animal, one turns into a form of water, like yeah. which is the dumbest. I don't know, like a pail. Also a pail. You can turn into a pail also. That's right. Um But I mean, what is your experience with Alpha Flight? You know, my my own personal experience with Alpha Flight is not that much at most i i remember in 91 at that point i think alpha flight was a direct market only book meaning it didn't come out on newsstands oh yeah uh and i had not yet discovered a or any comic book store at that time so i didn't know of any direct market areas everything i got was on newsstands and at that time there were there was a four issue Alpha Flight special miniseries that was coming out that I later found out were just um, simultaneous prints of issues ninety seven through a hundred. Wow, oh. which had, I think were coming out like which I think they were coming out on newsstands like a month later than they came out on direct market. Yeah, yeah. And the reason it was direct market, I believe, is just because the sales were low enough that they couldn't sell it on the newsstand. So this is what they were trying to do to boost sales. Uh, so I bought that four-parter and followed that closely. Why, uh, why did you, what made you buy that four-parter? Like what, um, what was the hook in 1991? What did they have to do to make alpha flight super cool? To you <laughs> pay attention. You know, the cover I believe to 97 was an orange. And this is honestly what it was. Uh, there was an orange skinned woman on the cover dressed uh skimpily and i was i i think just starting uh to go through puberty so i was immediately into that but what also hooked me in was at that time i was also obsessed with uh like the infinity gauntlet was just starting to come out so i was just finding out who adam warlock was so here's another orange skin character and also she looks sexy so (laughs) Uh, but she and, didn't have anything to do with Adam Warlock, right? No, I don't believe so. And on the cover, there was an arrow pointing to her, yeah. and it said, "What's her problem?" Yeah, I, I was it, like, or is yeah, it, I want to know. Uh, yeah, what's her problem? <laughs> um, but also, uh, didn't Jim Lee get his start on Alpha Flight? He did. That was my. Yeah. I, I had experienced Alpha Flight two more times, three more times before that. Once I randomly got a Jim Lee issue of Alpha Flight in one of those uh, multi-comic packs at a department store. Oh, wow. And it was an issue where Puck was a full-sized old man. Oh. Because uh, he had let the spirit out of him. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the other times I had bumped into Alpha Flight was another random three-pack at a department store. It was the twenty-fifth, the Marvel 25th anniversary issue. Oh. Where... Um, I think, uh, oh man, her name escapes me, but she was, uh, like one of Namor's underwater lovers. Oh, uh, Um, Marina. Yes. Thank you. 
she was in some type of trouble and the Avengers guest star. I can't tell you Jack about Marina, but I know who she is. Like I've never read a comic with her in it. I just <laughs> know who she is. Yeah. Ugh. But, uh, but it was a sort of Avengers alpha flight team up. And then the final, the very first knowledge I had of alpha flight was I had had a subscription to incredible Hulk when I was five. And this was at the tail end of the, um, in Incredible Hulk 300, the Hulk had been completely like there was no Bruce Banner influence on the Hulk. He was yeah. just a mindless monster. And in Incredible Hulk 300, he was just destroying New York City. And they the only way they could figure out to contain him was have Doctor Strange banish him to the nightmare realm. Canada. <laughs> Yeah, Canada. <laughs> so uh, at the same time, at the same time, Alpha Flight was also trying to find someone's husband's consciousness who was lost in the ether. And they thought they had found him and what they had actually found and pulled back from the ether was uh, the mindless Hulk. So they accidentally brought the Hulk back after a year of being banished to like Yikes. this dream plane and that was my first experience was that crossover with alpha flight. What about you? What were, uh, what were your sort of experiences prior to this? Um, I got, I'm, I also a department store. I'm trying to figure out what issue that was a uh, department store three pack. I got uh, alpha flight number one Oh one alpha flight featuring Dr. Strange in the search for Aurora. I don't think I ever read that issue and I, uh, I held on to it for 20 years and I think I finally, I sold it. Not too yeah, long that was that was the immediate aftermath of the books yeah. that I had read. Uh, I got into Alpha Flight with Volume Two, <clears throat> and because uh, in 1997, when they when all the heroes went to the Heroes Reborn universe, and Marvel went on that big kick where they launched a bajillion new number ones. I mean, kind of a prototypical uh, all new Marvel now. Uh, 1997, when they you know they launched Thunderbolts, Deadpool, uh, Quicksilver, Alpha Flight. Uh, Maverick. I read all those books. Like I was very excited about all those uh, new books, and I I bought and I read that version of Alpha Flight, written by Steve Siegel. Um, Duncan Rouleau was an artist on that for a little while. I had a bunch of different artists. Uh, Scott Clark started that, right? Yeah, and I remember I was super inter interested in all those new characters, like uh, Radian and Flex, and some French woman whose I think power was. Like mind manipulation and being attractive. Like, you sound like you are describing, like you're describing people that go to your gym. Yes, yeah, like oh, radiant, ah, there's like radiant and flax and it's that like French woman. Derisive nicknames I have towards them. <laughs> um, and so I was into that, and then like you know, I mean, being as big of an X Men fan as I am, you you, you run up against your Alpha Flights um, sure. a lot because uh, of the Wolverine connections. So they were in you know the cartoon. And um, there's some really good uh, Claremont and Byrne issues that star Alpha Flight. Uh, still, like, I and I also went through a big kick of trying to buy all the single issues of the 80s series. And I think I have, like, 1 through 12. But I don't know if I've ever read them because I just buy comics and don't read them. <laughs> so I have I have this. I have uh, Alpha Flight number 6. I own that. It's right here. Wait, um, how could you how, – how can you – so how can you put those books what, – what happens to those on your spreadsheet? Well, I mean, they're in my spreadsheet because I own them. Okay. They don't. They don't have a uh, ranking um, of like how much I like that issue. 
Oh, so they just have a, oh have a, man, they have a zero or they have a blank. They don't have any entry there. Um, although I am trying to scale back on ranking every issue I read because it's a stupid task. Is it but, stupid? Well, it <laughs> it I, I've I've isolated it down. It is not. This is so OCD. It, I, I, I rate every new issue I buy because I need to make sure that I am actually buying comic books that I like every month. New issues, new series. Because mm-hmm. um, like, like knowing how much I like each one of those issues helps me when it comes time to like, I need to drop two titles because I'm buying too much. And it's right. like, the lowest one's gone. That's easy. Um, and it also helps because I also love being very meticulous with my best of like year-end lists. So any comic book that is published in 2014 that I read, I will most likely, you know, assign a how much I like it grade. But if I read, you know, I, I just read Snowblind, I'm not going to assign that a number because I will never really need to know how much I liked this issue. That's fair. It, it will never. Um, I, I've let go of that. I, I always had this big grand idea of actually reading everything I own and then actually publishing a master top 100 single issues list. And then I realized that new comics come out every month and that list will be outdated Yeah, in like six months time. So it's, it's a stupid pursuit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just trying not to, uh, I'm trying not to let that drive me crazy because thinking about grading the comics at times would prohibit me from actually reading comics. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to let them all stack up. And now it's just like, man, if you're organizing comics gets in the way of you actually reading and enjoying them, you gotta rethink some things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, this issue, Alpha Flight number six, Snowblind, uh, we noted before we started, this takes place, um, assistant editors month. Beware. It's assistant editors month. Don't say we didn't warn you. It says on the front page. Okay. So the thing about assistant editors month is the, the problem that I always had with it was the, the basic intonation behind assistant editors month is that all of the assistant editors we have are incompetent yeah. or don't have good ideas for stories. And usually those are really, I mean like the, the kid who collected Spider-Man is a assistant editors month issue. Yeah. Uh, well, now I think that that goes back to, um, it's almost like the inverse or maybe it isn't. Maybe it's actually still playing the game of 1960s Marvel with Stan, you know, from Stanley's prose of him being so boastful and a hot, a hype, hype man, uh, in like the letters pages in the early sixties issues of Marvel comics where he was like, you know, you guys are so smart cause you're reading us. The competition's lame. Um, this, <laughs> this almost seems like a natural like progression of that. Uh, in, instead it's like our editors are so awesome. Oh, but now I have to deal with these guys. Yeah. It's like continuing that level of like meta commentary, which I, I think is charming. Yeah. Yeah. I can get behind that. I mean, it is also, that was also the month that gave us, the Avengers on uh, Late David Night with Letterman. David Letterman. Whoa, yeah. Was the, was nineteen? This is um January nineteen eighty four is what this is cover dated. So that means it came out around November eighty three ish. Um, was this the first uh, Assistant Editors Month? I, that's a thing we could look up. I don't know. I don't know. That's hard to look up. Um, but it ran through most of the eighties. Uh, yeah, I think. You know, I don't know if they did it more than once. It may have only been this I like, once. I remember them doing it uh, a couple times, I thought. Oh, really? I th- I, uh, that's what I thought, at least. Let me see. 
let me see here. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, I don't want to do research while I'm on the podcast. I don't know. Listeners, yeah. hey, listeners, if you know more about it, get get hit us up. Um, it's a good reason to get in touch with the mailbag. Yeah, uh, but I, I did. I tried to do some research on this issue. Uh, and one of the things I found was apparently they did assistant editors month because all of the editors were at San Diego comic-con in 83. And the reason they did assistant editors month that month, maybe every month, I don't know, is because most of the editors were preoccupied doing that is what one random blog I found said. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Interesting. But I could see that. That was just when it was starting to blow up too. Yeah. Yeah. And if this, in like, you know, dating it, that's about right. I mean, if this came out in like November 83, then, you know, summer 83 is probably when this was being produced. I mean, you know, yeah, it makes it makes a little bit of sense. Um, but this issue is mostly notable. And everyone who knows about this issue is probably wondering, how did they go over 20 minutes without bringing up this? <laughs> we certainly have. But hey, we proved you wrong. We surprised you. Um, there are five and a half pages in this issue that are blank. Yeah. That are totally white. They have no drawings on them. But they still have panels, and they still have letters and word balloons and sound effects. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting – it's a very interesting concept. Yeah. In fact, I, uh, it's, it's bold. Yeah. I'll say that. And I kind of – as I was reading the captions on these pages <laughs> – The captions are hilarious. The captions yeah. are so funny. I I hear I hear Jim Ross from the WWE <laughs> doing all of these captions as if he's doing co- uh, play-by-play commentary on the fight. Yeah, the thing the one I was reading this is like this feels like the this is crazy, but this feels like the printed uh, visual version of an audio drama. Okay. Like, yeah. because, like cause it's doing everything. Like when you listen to like radio serials or our other podcast, Left Hand Radio, um, plug. I don't know. Plug, uh, plug. Like what you get then is you get, uh, you get, you know, your narration and you get dialogue and you get sound effects. Yeah. And those are the three things you get on these pages. Um, but so it's so it's a really weird feeling like it feels like you're reading and seeing an audio drama that you're also still not seeing because there's nothing actually there right weird um but the the captions are great because uh they they go through the trouble well i mean the the plot of it is a bunch of people drilling up in canada awaken a ancient canadian beast Uh, which which happens i mean that's gonna happen can't go drilling this is why i personally don't want people drilling for oil is because of the chance of waking up great beasts like is this is this fracking is this what happens when you frack oh this might be fracking this is this this is is what happens when you frack this is all i know about fracking is in alpha flight number six (laughs) yeah Uh, colomac is free and he's like a giant uh ape-like beast he looks like an ape with a tribal yeah tragedy mask yeah he's sad he's drama uh, yeah, he is TNT. He is, he is drama. He He's is dra- t- so drama. Ape rises from the spirits, waiting to fight. Very funny ape with the TBS. Yeah. TBS sponsored. Very funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, so then Snowbird uh, is like, "Yo, I gotta go fight this on my own," and she goes there, and then Colomac immediately whips up a, a snowstorm, 
which then blankets them for five pages while they fight. And the captions are so descriptive and it is almost like they're li- they're they're so verbose and over the top with the visuals they're describing that it almost seems like they're lying to you in a way. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like yeah. her human form seems to melt to flow until the woman is gone and a great white bear lunges through the storm. Is it really? Mm-hmm. You didn't draw? I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah, the the last panel on page ten. The transformation was wrenching. Never before has Snowbird attempted to change from one animal to another without assuming her true form first. And in her blind panic, she had forgotten her human form can also fly. <laughs> it's great. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's like, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, it's just it's so hyperbolic. It's, it's just, it's really funny having someone describe these, like, you've never seen this before. Like levels yeah. of wonder with her powers. She's doing things you've never seen and you still like, haven't. It's like someone describe. it's like someone describing an awesome party that they're currently at to you on the phone. Oh yeah. Oh, oh man, this guy just Oh, that guy this guy just did a cannonball <laughs> off the roof into the pool and then he went through the pool that has never happened before. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for um thanks for telling me that yeah. you could take pictures. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nope, can't take pictures. No pictures allowed. But I mean, there's also um I mean, this is where the lettering really gets to shine. Yeah. And... Yeah, and there's some fun there there's definitely some fun letter. I love the whoomph on page 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and even like Colomax um like his uh his speech bubbles are like this blue crackly thing and Yeah. Um there's even like well, I mean, it all plays together really well with the the panel borders, which I assume John Byrne, you know, laid out. So he did draw some squares on these pages. He did. <laughs> but he did arrange them in ways that still, like, tell the story? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it's still leading your eye visually across the page. The page where and... they tumble and all the uh, squares are, like, overlapping on top of each other, which it's almost like you can still – you can see – it's almost as if he drew the pages and then erased all the art because all the panels still feel like they're the right size for what he's describing to be happening within those panels. Yeah. Yeah, and if you if you look at the lettering as well, the lettering actually does the lettering and the panel shapes are what lead the eye across the page whereas usually it's the art. Yeah. that does that job. And uh it's it's interesting it's interesting to see that you can take the art away from a comic and still find ways to uh, keep the flow of the storytelling alive. Because that is crazy. I yeah. Because like, like, the whole reason comics really exist, like comics are a visual medium. They do comics without uh, dialogue and words all, all the time. Yeah. Not all the time. It's happened before. Uh there was enough said month, and then there was you know the class two issues of GI Joe, which we should also right. read. We should reread those sometimes. Yeah, sometime. yeah. Because, um, but this this is like oh no, you're taking away the thing that makes comics comics, right? Because why? But it's still, it's almost like this discovered a different medium because like again, this could not be, uh, this couldn't be like prose. It's not prose. Right. 
there's still a visual element. It's just the visual element is done through words, which is uh, which is weird. That's the thing that I you, I don't know how John Byrne thought of that. Right. And I'm uh, wondering if he just thought of it because he's a writer artist on a monthly book and was like, "Holy crap! I need to I need to speed up. I need to." <laughs> I mean, so he was working on Fantastic Four at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. 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 So this is when he was pulling double duty. What was his assistant editor's month book on Fantastic Four that month? That was, I mean, I, there was a Fantastic Four book where there was a trial of Reed Richards where John Byrne himself showed up. <laughs> That's what I uh, I read in the blog article. Um, and I remember that cover. So yeah, uh, John Byrne also always did double duty, which is insane to think about like he while he was doing uncanny x-men he was also doing um oh god i just read it what, what oh uh, avengers he like he did like an avengers arc at the same yeah. time as he was doing uh x-men um, and even before x-men he was doing i believe he was doing power man and iron fist and marvel team up yeah, with yeah iron, at the same time. iron fist and marvel team up at the same time <laughs> which is nuts. amazing uh, he's he's uh amazing yeah, and I, I got to say, too, there were some hits that I think is some of them warranted, some of them unwarranted that John Byrne's art has taken over the years. And you and I were talking about this, I think, right before or right after Christmas, right? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, he was doing Captain America at the same time as he was doing Dark Phoenix Saga. He was right. doing that amazing Captain America run at the exact same time he was doing Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and the guy is one of the most quintessential comic book artists yeah and he ever. doesn't get well i mean i was talking like he to talk about john byrne um i he seems to be just a few okay here's a statement just a few steps away from ditko dumb in a way like if, so. if well if you have like your walt simonson's mm-hmm. like walt simonson john byrne like if anyone in the 80s influenced comics as much as Ditko did in the 60s like it's those guys uh and Simonson is totally game to play ball like he still does runs on Marvel comics he does a bunch of covers I mean he went away for a while but he seems to like be interested in you know going back and doing Thor stuff right and just and just you know creating things um you know, and then you have your Steve Ditko, who hasn't been seen in years and is still producing regular output from his office right around the corner from the Ed Sullivan Theater building uh, that yep. no one sees because you have to, like, mail your cash to his office and he will mail you the comics. Does that um, really happen? What? Why haven't we mailed him cash? Uh, yeah, there's a uh, – some, like, Comics Alliance did a, like, big – uh, rundown of like the la like the last ten years worth of Steve Ditko work and where they like read all of it and analyzed all of it and yeah so we should we should investigate that oh yeah because uh, apparently they're exactly how you think they would be oh man I bet <clears throat> but then John Byrne is this weird case where like he is still around and he still does monthly work like but it's all creator owned stuff for I for like IDW right well he also does Star Trek as well because I yeah. think he's a huge Star Trek guy well so I mean I guess like that's <laughs> I guess I'm just being poo-poo because he doesn't want to play at Marvel anymore. And that is that annoys me. Because like he's not Ditko. Like he's still working and he's still out there, but you don't hear his you don't hear his name. That's true. Ever, really. Well, I mean the thing was, he was also far more outspoken than Walt Simonson ever has been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean they're um, temperamentally they're they're very different. Yeah. Burn you know, because Burn did open up to the internet in the best way that he could with 
the burn robotics, burn robotics forums. Uh, and, you know, but he, he's very much, no, I don't know him. So I, but just looking at the interactions that he's had across the years and how he does everything he does, he very much seems like the type of person that needs to have complete control. Yeah. yeah. That's why, that's why I think he's a writer artist. And I think that's why he doesn't have any problem doing whatever he's doing. Cause I'm sure he's getting bank. Yeah. Um, plus, plus you look back on his output, right? Like it seems like he wanted more creative influence on uncanny, which is why he left there. Yeah. Um, because Claremont was, was directing that ship and they had whatever happened between Did them. Did you see, um, it, th- this made the rounds on Tumblr a couple weeks ago, like John Burns handwritten notes. Um, I think when they were doing dark Phoenix saga of the entire, like planned run up through issue 150 at that time. Holy crap. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can find that. Um, and it was just, and it was like. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. And it was like, yeah, he wanted that control. I mean, him and Claremont together wanted that. <laughs> right. Right. And I and I get that. And like some people that's just that's just how they operate. It seems like he very much has a vision and he also a lot of times with those type of people, like they very much have a vision, which is great, but then if you disagree with it, it's not that you can disagree with them, it's that you're wrong. Yeah. And that seems to be the, the, the case so often. And as he's gotten older, you know, other people have come along. You know, every generation gets – there are new people, right? Yeah. So then the new people are like, well, fine. If you don't want to work with him, uh, I'll take the job. And eventually it gets to a point where not everyone waits around. They kind of move on without you. And – you know, he's found himself at IDW, but he's doing his own work, and he seems to really enjoy it. And people are saying that it's the best work he's done in years. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, here, is, uh, here it is. John Burns' handwritten notes for X-Men Storyline Ideas, 1979. Oh, this is even before. It starts with issue 123, um, Arcade Two-Parter. Yeah. Uh, 125, Phoenix. 126 through 128 was the uh, Mutant X, the Proteus storyline. And right. he got 129, 130, he has Ariel, uh, which is Kitty Pride, so that, that hit at the right time. Then you got Hellfire Club, parts 1 and 2 and 3, which is 131 through 133, which is the same. Everything everything hits the same up through 134, and then it goes through 135 through 138 is something called Split Up, uh, where every character gets like their own issue. New Team, Angel, Iceman, and Ariel. Then my favorite... Issue one thirty nine, Cyclops robot, <laughs> four part Cyclops robot thing. Although most people would argue that that is just Cyclops now. Yeah. Oh, and this was a uh, Death of Mariko was the big thing coming in issue in, in issue one forty six. Ooh. Uh, and then a Phoenix Magneto battle in issue one fifty, and Sabretooth was going to kill Mariko, and then Wolverine was going to kill Sabretooth. That was one forty six to one forty seven, and like leaves her brain dead. Uh, Sabretooth leaves her brain dead, and Jean and Professor are like, and then Xavier like, they, she's she's brain dead. And Wolverine like has to pull the plug on it. It was a very wow, yeah. So that is what they were gonna do. Uh, you know what's amazing about that is, uh, it was probably it was almost uh, what five five years. 
until Wolverine and Sabretooth actually met up. Oh yeah, they didn't meet up until the massacre. Later. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, so I, it's it's a it's a sad thought what I'm about to say, but I I feel like John Byrne is not going to get the like respect and recognition he maybe deserves until he dies. <laughs> Because that he's not like there. There are a lot of uh. you know those those living legends that are still working right now. Well, I feel like if John Byrne came back and actually and like did a big book at Marvel, like an actual big book, not just like a bone that they throw him. Um, that would be huge news. Or like if DC got John Byrne to do a Superman book. Uh, I mean, that's definitely looking backwards, and I don't know if it'd be. I don't know any good. Well, I, I mean, they got they got John Byrne to do a Superman book ten years ago. Yeah, and it didn't really do anything. Um, he wasn't around long. They they had a shakeup on the books in two thousand four, and they gave. Uh, are you ready for this? Um, uh, Chuck Austin was one of the writers. Oh, oh delightful. Uh, yeah, and um, and then Byrne was doing work. And at this point, people were complaining about how much, like, people were saying, like, oh, Burns' work is too inky now compared to what it used to be. And he'd, like, lock the thread down on his form and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. My work looks exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, and then they got Nelson to ink him on Action Comics. And it, like, Nelson's ink work, like, tightened all of the lines that Byrne was using and made them look thinner and looked really sharp. Because, like, when was... you look at Snowblind, his line work in this is so tight and it's this is prime this is primo burn you know this is this is some real primo burn son um and that's but then he had apparently had a fit about that he was like i want this guy to stop inking me and uh they either took him off and then burn quit or burn quit because they wouldn't i can't remember which so i mean like I only say that about, you know, him not getting proper respect until he dies really is because, I mean, John Byrne is one of the most important artists ever in the medium. And like, I, I, I I feel strong in saying that. And we don't talk about him and we don't hear his name ever. Like, I mean, it's almost like he's just kind of disappeared disappeared just because he's not doing work at marvel and dc anymore which is also shitty because he's still doing stuff and i'm not reading it what's my problem i'm part of the problem (laughs) i don't know (laughs) um because i don't even know like where he would even fit in at a marvel or dc at this point because they wouldn't let him write anything and if they did i mean i doubt that his sensibilities would be would match what they want yeah i I mean that's what sort of happened in the first place and what made him leave marvel I mean, his big uh, dust-up with Marvel was over X-Men Hidden Years, right? Yeah. But they canceled it because it, like, wasn't selling, right? <laughs> I mean... Well, he says that the sales were fine. Yeah. And it seems like they were, at that time, just looking to go in a completely different direction with well, but, the entire line of books. Yeah, that was... The movie came out and Grant Morrison happened, mm-hmm. if from what I remember. Yeah. Um, but I, I just... I mean, John Byrne, I mean, as an X-Men fan he means a lot to me uh the man's work i mean he i mean the x-men are are burdened with such great artists (laughs) like they have so many are great artists it's hard to even say that he's the best one but he's probably the best one like 
Well, in terms of importance, he's easily the most important artist the X-Men ever had. Ah, and I, I, I love I love him. I mean, he did She-Hulk, he did Fantastic Four, he did Captain America, he did Avengers, he did X-Men, yeah. he did Alpha Flight, uh, and, he did Spider-Man. I mean, so, so let's actually talk about Sheesh. the story that we have here in this book by John Byrne, who is a legendary storyteller. Like, what there is, to me, a lot of fun in this, right? Like, this definitely seems like they are goofing on the concept. Yeah. I mean, this is John Byrne. I mean, this is him un- unleashed. Was this the first thing that he both wrote and drew? I think it was. Well, this and Fantastic Four, but which started first? Either way, this is the start of him being I believe, a artist. I believe Fantastic Four started first, and he agreed to do Alpha Flight because he'd created them, and they were going to make a series, and he didn't want anyone else to yeah. do it. Um, so he agreed to do like the first year. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what the story was. And it's interesting too, that if he was only going to be around for a year, they took a month to, uh, do a story like this. And I say story like this, like it's, it's fun. It's silly. There's a lot of like, there are definitely questions that I have. Like all of the oil drillers are all wearing like short sleeve shirts and, uh, yeah. we're just in the middle of a massive snowstorm and are wiping their heads from sweat and don't seem to have any, like, <laughs> like actual tell of being in the snow. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, like, the, the, the issue starts out, like, Snowbird is a, is a mystical creature. Right. From what I understand. And uh, Guardian, right, Guardian, uh, mm-hmm. created the identity of Anne McKenzie for her, and she is like a... Oh boy! This last time I was confounded with uh, Scotland and England. <laughs> now I'm confounded by Canada. She yes. is a a Mountie. She's a she's a Canada cop. She's, she's something. A Canada cop. I don't know. Uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. She's at oh, a remote yes. RCM post yes. in wow. Mackenzie. Oh, and she is Anne Mackenzie. That's her name, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So. And they, they has the weird twist of like, she says, like they created this I- identity so that I would be guardian arranged for the creation of my Anne McKenzie identity so that I would be more easy to contact shit off a of flight near me. But Anne McKenzie is fast becoming a liability. Like that's an interesting twist on the secret identity. Like she didn't have one. She didn't need to have one, but they gave her one. And now she's like, ah, oh, this is this is a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> she has to go to work. Yeah, and she. What I love too. Is that she is so, like, the story opens and she's being put in a jail because she hasn't explained her actions to her uh, to her superior officers. Yeah. And she's apparently just leaving her post and stuff. Uh, and, oh, there was a, yeah, I, there, there, are, there are plot points that happened previous to the book that are playing out at the beginning. Yeah. And then once she senses that Colomac is free, she does, she... Does not try to sneak out. She blows a <laughs> hole in the wall of the prison and is just like, gotta go. Yes. And Snowbird! And <laughs> just runs off. It's like, just I out. do not give a shit that I have a ide- secret identity. Here, here, Guardian, here's my secret identity. Rub your face in it. Yeah, yeah. I also want, I want to read the issue where your Guardian gives her a secret identity where it's like, we're going to give you a secret identity uh, in, the, in the Mounted Police where you will have a lot of responsibilities and they will keep track of your time. 
Yeah. Like, just make her like a barista. <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. Like, you are you are in the RCMP, and you have a time card, and you have like, to punch in and out. She just needs to be like, you know, like a folk singer that also, you know, slings coffee every now and then. It's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I slept through my alarm this morning. Like, you know. And if she's that, easy. she doesn't even have to make up an extra name. Like, if you went into like a coffee shop and the person was playing guitar behind (laughs) the counter and said oh hi i'm your barista snowbird you'd be like of course that's your name i'm saying that a a snowbird's secret identity should be phoebe buffet it should be it It should be phoebe buffet because if phoebe 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 could be snowbird phoebe Uh, on friends is the kind of character that could disappear for days yep and you wouldn't question it nope (laughs) So, John Byrne, you need to have invented Phoebe Buffet 10 years before Friends and make her suffered. Yep. We get to, and then after that, I, there was a lot more story in this than I remember. I thought it was more, uh, you know, more blank pages, but it wasn't. Um, There's only five pages of blank pages. So, we still have all these subplots brewing, one of them being uh, Guardian, who I'll keep wanting to call Vindicator, but that's not his name yet. Or that was that's his not his name. name yet, right? They change names a lot, him and Heather. Mac. Mac comes home. Yeah. And I just want to comment on John Byrne's interior design sense because I love their living room. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, like, that. all that retro, like, it's very, like, early 80s, very early 80s furniture, but I love all them clean lines. Yeah. It looks like the set of, like, an early 80s sitcom, which I love. You think maybe he just went into his own living room and was oh. like, yep. Well, they have a fireplace that has built-in bookshelves. A yeah. brick fireplace with built-in bookshelves. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, they have a stained glass window, just like a a, a picture frame stained glass window. Yeah, and more more uh, bookshelves built into the wall. I love all those chairs with the wire, uh, like the circular legs. Those are great. Yeah, those are very uh, those are like mid century modern, right? Oh, it's my jam. So but that's the thing that I remember. Like John Byrne is great because he does that. Like he's yeah. really good at drawing like detailed like living spaces. You know, there's something that uh, Mac mentions here that uh, made me realize. I was like, oh, yeah, he totally is. Uh, He says there's a considerable ego stroke in being Canada's Captain America. Yeah. And he totally is. It's fascinating to me that he is not exploited as that more often. Yeah. They don't. They don't really. They, well, I mean, also just Alpha Flight in general. They keep, you know, they'll give them a series every couple. Of, I'm surprised we haven't gotten one in all new Marvel now yet. I mean, maybe we still will. Yeah, it's like Alpha Flight and New Warriors. Like these are the ideas they just keep coming back to. It's almost if your if your superhero team is not based in America, like specifically New York, right, or outer space, you're not going to have a book. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You look at Venom. Venom moved to Philadelphia. Book was over. Scarlet Spider was in Houston. That book's done. Yeah. They moved the Punisher to L.A. So and... we'll see how long that lasts. Last. Yeah, yeah. Seems like that's a, Daredevil's that would going be a to good San Francisco. Fit. Daredevil's going to be in San Francisco. And the X Men went to San Francisco for a while. There's no. They were back in New York. And the other one, the other team's in Canada. Oh man, there you go. Are they? Uh, why have Alpha Flight not showed up to Scott see? Summers? Oh, that's a great idea. Academy, yeah. Um, but then after that, uh, the Mac subplot where his, he sees that his wife Heather has gotten a mysterious letter from Roxon. Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, then we get our five-page battle. Uh, 
And then the issue's over, and then we go into a origin story for Shaman. Yeah. Michael Too Youngman. Yes. After, and you don't have this because you got this digitally. I have the physical copy. Um, there's the Saga of Crystar Crystal Warrior ad. Oh, I know exactly what yeah. I know exactly what ad that is, too. The page opposite of the start of the uh, Michael Too Youngman backup. Oh, man. Available at participating Kmart stores. <sighs> yeah. I love looking through old physical issues and seeing weird uh weird to us uh toy advertisements oh yeah i mean here's another one for um a james bond uh, role-playing game what for a free james bond 007 poster allow six to eight weeks for delivery and send one dollar <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds like a scam yeah <laughs> who was uh, who was the maker of that rpg um victory games incorporated no idea See, the world's most famous secret agent in is now the world's most exciting game. Oh, boy. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, and he's standing on top of a whole bunch of speedboats that are crashing into cars, police cars. What? <laughs> so, you know. Um, but, yeah, this is a... This issue is also very... It's well-regarded, too, from what I did. I saw... Oh, do you want to know my behind-the-scenes info? Yeah, of course. I was trying to just find out if this was just a, holy crap, I'm behind. I need to do something. Um, I didn't find any information on that. But on the Burn Robotics board, someone asked John Byrne uh, if he got paid for those pages that he, you know, didn't draw um, or just drew boxes on. And on May 11th, 2005, John Byrne wrote, yes. I got paid full pencil and ink rates for those pages. Jim Shooter ruled that leaving them blank was an artistic decision and that they therefore counted as finished pages. So, he was good for some things, you see. Oh, man. <laughs> They're great. That's awesome. From the Burns mouth. <laughs> I love that that I love that that's true. Well, that's also that's smart. I mean, like he did put thought into those pages. It just maybe took him. I don't. How many pages a day do you think John Byrne could draw back then? I mean, he was doing two monthly books a month, and I, I mean, think he, Marvel he, Comics back then were like eighteen to twenty pages, so it was a little bit less. He had to have been drawing two to three pages a day. Well, that's crazy. And I bet you he worked seven days a week. Oh. How but much you money? Though, how too. much money do you have? Think he has. Let's go into well, that. That's, how much? That's bank? the thing. He's he's very well off from what I've heard because he was also, you know, he was writing and drawing comics at a time when the like the publication, the publications themselves, like the lowest selling titles, were selling six figures. What was he doing in the early nineties? Because he was already off of Superman by that point, wasn't he? He was off of. He was off of Superman by 89. So what was he doing in 1991 when, when the image explosion happened? Well, when the image explosion happened in 92, Dark Horse began their creator-owned series uh, imprint called Legend. Oh, he went there and did Next Men? He did Next Men there. <laughs> uh, he did Next Men, and then Art Adams did Monkey Man and O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, that was where Hellboy uh, became a full-fledged series. Um, oh, yeah. What else? Who else went over there? Shoot, there were a couple of other people that... Uh, 
picked up series at that we time. We still talk about Art Adams a bunch. Oh, Sin all, City. Duh. Oh, yeah. And Art Adams just does, like, variant covers for Marvel all the time. Yeah. If Byrne would just start doing variant covers for Marvel, would that be, A, a good fit, and B, would that, like, actually maybe get people to talk about him more? Well... I mean, yeah, he could do that, but the thing is, he's he seems like he's a guy who's very principled, and he made a very yeah. public statement that he would never work for, uh, and if you go to Burn Robotics, I believe that Marvel is a word that if you type it in, uh, becomes <laughs> M asterisk 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 oh, asterisk L. I don't know, I mean, I feel like a jerk for wanting, for like being like the only way for him to get back into popular discussion is to go work for the one of these two companies like that's stupid he should you know it's, we not, should... it's not necessarily stupid but it means it's a sad state of the industry of this industry uh where creators have a hard time aging yeah it. It, if he were to and, and i think too he's very publicly said he wouldn't work with image either but you know what i bet you if he launched a book mm. At image yeah that it would be the same thing but he also wants to do it seems like what he really wants to do is like straight up uh you know old school relatively old school like superhero tales well what's great i mean like, he's writing he's the fact that john Byrne is doing star trek comics and that isn't a you know a topic is crazy true but it's also again like star trek comics have never been you know that hot of a item yeah that's I mean, fair i mean we marvel we've... had them they didn't like they didn't get that much buzz they were all canceled immediately yeah we know what happened with those yeah oh boy i mean when it comes to licensed properties like your star wars and your and your buffies and your adventure times are the, those are like the only ones that really like make headlines or do really well in sales he said without having any facts to back that up <laughs> yeah you know it's interesting because they are like going back to the 80s nostalgia boom when that kicked off in like 2002 or like 2000 in you know in comics um dreamwave dreamwave became an independent publisher to publish the marvel or the transformers license yeah and Image had G.I. Joe. Yeah. Or Devil's Do. Devil's Do had it for a while. Well, Image had it, and then Devil's Do had it, and now... Right, because you know what it was? Devil's Do was just an imprint. Devil's Do was like a, a publication house yeah. working with Image, and then they became their own imprint, and that's what happened. So it seems like it's easier for these, for the smaller publishers to acquire the rights to these properties... Um, but then it wind, I have to imagine that what winds up happening is the comics are an afterthought and they wind up doing more design work for the, hmm. for the back end for like Hasbro on the other side. Because like, if you look at like, do you, like Val Staples had the He-Man license and it actually made him, I believe it. Like it put him in serious debt he enough that personally he personally had it. Yeah, and he had to move back in with. How did he have? How did the human have the license? What? Well, he started. He started an imprint specifically oh. to do that work, huh. and it, it. I don't want to say it bankrupted him, but it put him in such deep debt that he wound up having to move back in with his parents, and uh, until he paid back all of the creators, all of the money that he owed him, he owed. 
uh, tens of a couple, like it was at least five figures hmm. worth of money to other creators. So he started taking on uh, like a crazy amount of coloring jobs so that he could afford to pay everyone back. Man, wow. Well, John Byrne deserves a ton of respect. I think I agree. Um, and I, I his work deserves I a ton of respect. Just, everyone should just play nice. I don't yeah. Know. And, yeah. And it would be nice. It'd be uh, pretty cool to have some sweet John Byrne covers and some comics. Um, I agree with that. I mean, okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So what, I mean, like if Marvel could get Claremont and Byrne on a book somehow, probably using witchcraft and or mind control <laughs> to convince them to work together again, that would be newsworthy. Well, they they did work together at DC about <clears throat> eleven years ago. Uh, that was Claremont had several, I guess, a six part JLA story that was scripted, and they gave it to Byrne, and Byrne drew it, and it got published. Or yeah, not? oh, yeah, yeah. It was in uh, I I can't recall which issues, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, get a Claremont and Burn X Men book. That'd be crazy. I mean, it would. Oh, yeah. It probably. It would not be able to live up to any type of expectations. No. Uh, just because that is how everything works, not just them. It's everything. It's uh, like, but it would yeah, still be. I would. Jordan to like. Yeah. Recreate the the NBA Finals from '98. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. He's great. I mean, like, I think Paul Smith is as great as John Byrne, but also, like, Paul Smith doesn't have the body of work. Like, the thing is, like, John Byrne is a phenomenal artist, but then also has an insane body of work. An insane body of work. Yeah, but but I think that's because Byrne's primary love and his primary work is comics. Yeah, and Paul Smith was doing animation and whatnot. Yeah. Joe Maderera does video games. Plays video games. What? Plays video games. Well, yeah, well, he... That was that was a, a mean <laughs> thing to say about a person I don't know. <laughs> um, he's not that much older than us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's uh, he might actually be. No, I think he was. I think he was born in like the mid seventies. Because okay. I think I think he was like sixteen when he got his first work on Excalibur in like ninety one or ninety two. Oh right. Oh, I had his first published work. It was in a Marvel Comics Presents. Yeah. Well, he would do. He also did <laughs> tangents. He also did. Uh, Pizza Hut had that X Men, uh, right. that X Men tie in stuff. He did the placemat, the thing that went on the tray and went on the placemat. He did the big X Men piece, and that, oh yeah, and that came out like just maybe a couple months before he like did his first work on X Men. So anyway, uh, so I mean, does does this whet your appetite for more Alpha Flight? You know, in an odd way, it does, but I would want – I'd need to do some research to see if the rest of the series is as sort of uh, – not necessarily tongue-in-cheek, but bizarre as well, this issue. Well, you know Puck's origin, so you know it, it, it's got the bizarre covered. Yeah. <laughs> it's got bizarre. Um, well, and also, I mean, uh, Scott Lobdell wrote it for a while. Jim Lee did art for a while. It had some – talent on there yeah i would not from what i remember by the time the series had like turned the corner of issue 100 
like the last three years of the book were them trying to chase this sort of like cool 90s action stories that everyone else was (sighs) yeah no see chasing the dragon i think is something that would actually happen in this book before that yeah 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 this this and excalibur she's weird weird books that exist isn't it strange too that like claremont went off and then wound up doing excalibur which like incorporated his love of like british lore and was super bizarre and then um, Byrne did this super bizarre uh canadian love letter yeah well and they're both like like chris claremont was born and grew up in england um, and then Burn, uh, Burn is also. This is again my not understanding British. He's, he's also British, I think, but like lived in Canada for a long time. I think he's te- yeah. I think he was born in it up. Britain and then moved to Canada. Buh, buh, buh. Moved to New York, then Canada, or Canada, then to New York, then back to Canada. Yeah, he was yeah. born in West Bromwich, West Midlands, United Kingdom. Oh man, I John... could go for a. Bro- right now john lindley burn lindley oh wait what that's oh man stop being so lindley <laughs> lindley laffy lindley laffy oh Good. you're being so lindley laffy oh god john burn is like a beard hero of mine guy he's got a nice beard looking at his wikipedia page oh boy uh yeah so i mean anything else left to say about Snowblind or yeah i think it was a cool i think it was a cool issue i think it was an interesting concept i do uh you know kudos to michael higgins as the letterer uh for helping to guide the story along um i love i love the sort of playfulness of the story it takes itself very seriously but i think i think that's part of the charm like I think they knew they were doing that, and there there wasn't. I think it's self aware. I think it's a yeah. self aware issue, and I think it's really fun. Um, I got a kick out of it. It was a it was a light read for a fill in on an ugly snowy day. Yeah. <laughs> what um, about you? Yeah, this is a good uh, good revisit. Um, I've been thinking a lot more about lettering uh, and listening to Chris Iliopoulos' episode of uh, Jim Viscardi's podcast, Let's Talk Comics, also yeah. helped. Great uh, episode. To, yeah, to like understand more about... Because I feel like that, like, I, I, don't, I don't fully understand... I understand coloring, or I don't understand coloring. I, <laughs> to say, like, <laughs> I don't... To say, I don't fully understand coloring makes it seem like it's, like, this crazy thing that's hard to understand, but... Um, I'm learning. I'm. I'm definitely. I'm making an attempt to learn more about coloring and like be mindful of it. And, like learn who the colorists are. They, like lettering is the next step of like, you, you know, in, in uh, a comic book reader's life, <laughs> like actually trying to um, like appreciate everyone that puts these things together. And right. I, I think it is cool that this issue actually gives Michael Higgins the spotlight for five pages in a way that letters don't normally get that spotlight. I agree, and that's great. Um, I also just wanted to add that uh, I was asking earlier what John Byrne was doing in the early 90s, and that was Namor the Submariner, which he oh, did right. 25 issues of starting in 1990. Crazy. Was it 90? I thought it was even earlier yeah. than that. Byrne that started a new series, Namor the Submariner, in April 1990. Yeah, he was a corporate, uh, he took over his own corporation. Gosh, I want to read, I want to read everything he's done, because it all, yeah. 
And also, I read that he also apparently tried to do this gag, this you know, pictureless gag again in an episode in an issue of Sensational She-Hulk, to which She-Hulk then that too. berated uh, Byrne for reusing a gag. Are you serious? That's what um, I read in a blog, so I assume that's what happened, because blogs don't lie. He was doing She-Hulk at that time, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he was doing in the early Oof, 90s. What? You know, as soon as he left Namor, uh, that was when Jay Lee started on the book, and they yeah, they just they immediately made him an amnesiac with a huge beard. Which, like, why oh, give yeah. a guy underwater a beard? Uh, just like immediately was like everything you knew about anything John Byrne ever did is wrong. <laughs> so mean. Yeah. Oh well. Um. But yeah. So good. Good reads. Um. Let's go. Let's go. Keep warm. Uh, if you're interested in purchasing off of Flight Number Six, you can visit Matt and Brett Love Comics.com, where you can purchase the trade collecting this and other issues of Alpha Flight through the Amazon link in the episode show notes. Any purchase you make on Amazon through our online store kicks a little bit of money back to us. You can also find this issue on Comicsology, which yeah. is where you found it. Indeed. And while you're at Matt and Brett Love Comics, uh, why not dig into the back issues? For example, you could listen to the episode where we read the Star Trek X-Men crossover books, uh, which were, uh, I think, oh boy, is the best way to describe them. Um, Or if you want to get into a little more of the uh, X-Men lore, something that John Byrne made famous, you can listen to the issue where we read the entire Executioner's Song crossover with Pat Loika. Yeah. We uh, is this the first John Byrne stuff we've read? We have to have to read more. Yeah, I have agree. To read more. Um. Yeah, there there are. You know, and we love we love hearing from you guys. Of course, we have the mailbag uh, on the show now. So let us know what you think about the show. If there are any books or creators you think we should check out, uh, things we're just realizing that we haven't read that much Byrne. Um, let us know. We'd love to hear that as well. Yeah, you can do that uh, on our website, mattbreadlovecomics.com, or the Facebook page, facebook.com slash theylovecomics. Uh, you can also find links to our social media presence under the Who Loves Comics tab on our website, which is also how you can let us know what you want us to read or talk about or or shut up about. I mean, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you want us to sh- uh, if you don't want us to shut up, you, of course, are our best spokespeople. We thank you guys so much for listening. It, it really does mean a lot to us. Uh, if you want to, you know, you know, let your friends know about the show. Uh, put uh, Pat someone on the back and secretly leave a note on their back that says, listen to Matt and Brett Love Comics. Um, you know, <laughs> tattoo it on the inside of a friend's lip and then be like, hey, look what oh. happened while you were passed out. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, Pump pump beer no. at a party for everyone okay. while they're waiting in line. Tell us uh, tell them about our show. That one's better. Don't don't tattoo your friends, guys. Tattoo your friends sounds like a '90s alternative rock album. Tattoo your friends because of Pet Your Friends by Dishwalla. There you go. Uh, <laughs> as always, thanks for producer Bender Gieb who puts up with all of this nonsense. You are the jim shooter to our john Byrne. Oof. then we're heading towards a very uh but in a good way horrible split but but in a good way um yeah you're the michael higgins to our john Byrne. okay that's better that's nicer uh you're the and i'm just like flipping through uh, whatever <laughs> you're the uh speedboat to our cop car 
Love it. James Bond ad. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, until next time. Yeah, until next week, as a reminder, we'll be reading Batman Year One with uh, Shikara owner and uh, professional wrestling guru, Mike Quackenbush. Uh, and until then, this is Matt. And this is Brad. And we love comics. Ooh, burn, it's cold. And we hate snow. I hate snow. <laughs>